This film is Lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, all right? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. Cautionary tale of dinosaurs, greed, and the sexiest PhD since Indiana Jones. It's Jurassic Park, and this film is lit. I'll let listeners decide which one of the three PhDs in this they think is the <laughs> sexiest since Indiana Jones, but I think we all know what the real answer is. Hello and welcome back to the 24th episode of This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about books that are based on movies. This week, it's a big one, Jurassic Park. So let's get into our first segment. Let me sum up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. John Hammond, a wealthy businessman, funds research that successfully clones dinosaurs. After the death of an employee at the park he's building, Jurassic Park, he brings three specialists to the park to get their approval and in order to help calm the nerves of his investors. While they're at the park, programmer Dennis Nedry sets into motion his plan to steal and sell dinosaur embryos to a competing company. His plan causes all manner of problems for the guests, leaving them to survive and escape Jurassic Park. So there you go. Let's move on to guess who. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. Okay, we've got five. Oh boy. Let's and they're them. fairly short. Good. He was short. As he sat in the chair, his feet didn't touch the carpeting. He tugged at the red silk handkerchief in the breast pocket of his sport coat. Uh, okay. Short. The fact that he has a sport coat with a silk handkerchief, uh, I'm gonna have to assume that that's John Hammond. Yes, it is. Woohoo! Uh, that thought it was potentially Nedry, but he wouldn't wear a sport coat. Yeah. With a silk handkerchief. So, and nobody else is short. Nailed it one for one. <laughs> he was a stocky, muscular man in his mid 30s, wearing an Armani suit and wireframe glasses. Armani suit and wireframe glasses. Boy, I guess I could see this being... He doesn't wear an Armani suit in the movie, um, but they do kind of talk about him being a rock star, so I could see this being Dr. Ian Malcolm. But I I can't remember if he has glasses. He does. Yeah, I think. Um, or it could be one of the the, the lawyer. would be the other one that makes sense, but not so much for the... Didn't you say muscly build or... Muscular bit. Yes, stocky, muscular man. Stocky, muscular. 
And uh, Grant wouldn't wear a Normani suit. So it's either Malcolm or the lawyer. I'm going to go with Malcolm. It's Gennaro. It's the lawyer. Is that his name? Okay, I yeah. can't remember his name. So the lawyer. Yeah, that was, yeah, that makes sense. A tall, thin, balding man of 35 dressed entirely in black. Okay. Black shirt, black trousers, black socks, black sneakers. This, uh, I'm going to have to say, was Dr. Ian Malcolm. Yes. The black is uh, a pretty mm-hmm. signifying character Yeah, trait. it's a dead giveaway for yeah. him. Yes, it is. And now I feel dumb for having guessed him on the first one. <laughs> well, to be fair, I didn't say what color the Armani suit was. No, that's true. But even still, Armani suit didn't really make sense. I just, I don't know. I just thought maybe. A thin man in a button-down short-sleeve shirt and tie... Smoking a cigarette. Oh, well. Uh, okay. Uh, now I don't know his name, but the cigarette. I'm going to go off on the one character trait we can glean from this is that he's smoking a cigarette. And he does wear a button-down shirt and tie would be Sam Jackson's character. Arnold. Arnold. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's him. Yes. Yeah, the, him being a chain smoker is like yeah. one of his defining it's, traits. It, it is his, it's his thing. thing. That and uh, something we'll discuss later. Just in the was that in the book segment, but or momentarily in was that in the book segment. He was a big man, fifty years old, with a steel gray mustache and deep blue eyes. We don't have a lot of characters left here, which makes me think this is Doctor Alan Grant. Doesn't have a mustache in the movie, but the blue eye. I'm trying to think if there's any other people it could be at that point, that that age that it's gotta be he said 50s yes yeah yeah i'm gonna say it's dr grant it's muldoon robert muldoon which one's that the the hunter guy. oh yeah muldoon yeah. right the hunter he's like a big game hunter yeah, yeah. and well he, he and he says he runs the uh hammond in the movie introduces him as like he's one of the people that like runs or is one of the main people at his one of his reserves and he like yeah he's like a big game expert yeah type of in like guy. africa yeah. one of hammond yeah. hammond like owns a reserve in africa or something like yeah. that and, and there's no description of him really other than that but i'm i'm picturing like a big giant handlebar type yes like an old-fashioned like Victorian era big game yeah, hunter. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, I'm mad that he doesn't have yeah, that in the movie. I'm picturing a hundred percent the uh, in Jumanji. Yes. The, yes. Uh, his dad's <laughs> kid, the version of his dad in Jumanji with the German army pith helmet. Yeah, with the pith that. helmet yeah. and the giant mustache. Exactly. That's. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what he was going for. I like the guy they got. Uh, yeah. He's no, like the, he's great. He's Austra- is he Australian? I think maybe. Yeah. Is he Australian? I'm pretty sure he's Australian, but yeah, the the mustache would have been fun. So, <laughs> all right, uh, well, three for five. It's not terrible. Yeah, not bad. Let's move on to. Is that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? All right, this is. I got a lot of things because uh, this is such a an iconic film with so many iconic yeah. lines and moments yeah. that pretty much. Just all of them. I was like, well, let's see if that came from the book or if that was a movie edition. So got a lot. So strap in. But we don't have a lot for Lost in Adaptation. So when we get there, it should be pretty quick. First scene. 
uh, when we're first introduced to Dr. Grant and Dr. Sattler, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and on their dig site in Arizona, Montana. New Mexico, one of the, I don't know. It's the Badlands. It's, it's Mont- the, the Badlands are yeah, in Montana. Montana. Yeah, Montana. Okay. Uh, they're on a dig site, and there's the that kid who's there, yeah, and says the little bratty, kid. the little bratty, the mouthy kid at the dig site. Uh, he says something like, "It doesn't look that scary," and then Grant goes and messes with them. First, is that kid in the book? Is there no. a kid in the book that in Absolutely that scene? Absolutely not. No. Okay. Secondly, then we can just discuss this. Why is that kid there? I mean, like within the logic of the universe, yes. why would he be at the dig? Yeah, there are a I bunch of. Know. That's what I mean. I was so confused. Like, who? Where did this kid I mean, come from? He's there to establish the fact that Grant is uncomfortable around children. Right. I understand why he's there thematically. <laughs> but I don't know, like, realistically why he would be there. There are a bunch of, like, college students, and I assume, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a, like yeah. some sort of, like, it's a bunch of, like, grad students and, grad and stuff students, yeah. on a dig with these two PhDs. I mean, I guess maybe were to assume that there's some kind of tour going on. He's the only person. It's just only some kid. kid. Like, if there were several kids, I'd be like, okay, school yeah. tour. yeah. But or or any, he's just one kid in the back. Everybody else there looks like, and none of them, and they're not the age that would have a thirteen-year-old no. kid with them. They're all like college-age people, mostly, other than like you know. But we famously have established that Grant doesn't, and and Sattler don't have kids, so it's not obviously it's like their kid. But like, yeah, I I was like, why is why is this kid here? But yeah, I mean, I know why he's there. Because like, narrative? Yeah, I just don't get why he's there, actually. I never thought about that before until this time. I'm like, what if, where is this kid coming from? All right. Because um, yeah, they're in the middle of the desert. Anyways. So no mouthy kid uh, in in the desert. Well, it's not the desert. It's Badlands in yeah. Montana, but whatever. This is just a line. So then what we cut to, we're introduced to Nedry and his plan and his... Uh, the guy who basically hired him mm-hmm. from this competing company, nameless competing company, that wants their research. Um, first, the line because it's always it's a funny line where he goes, "Dotson, we've got Dotson here." See, nobody cares. Is that line in the book? That is not in the book. Okay. Um, he does give him shit about wearing a disguise. Oh, like because he comes kind of dressed to, up. Yeah, in the movie. Yeah, he's like, you look like a like you're in a spy movie or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Okay, and now this is the most important part of this scene that I must know about, because it's one of my favorite things in the movie. It's one of my favorite props from any movie ever, and I desperately want to find it somewhere and buy one. The shaving cream can. Yes, that is in the book. It is a shaving cream can, yes. and that it's, he uses to put the, yes, the embryos it's in. it's the same thing. It's Gillette in the book, and, and not Barbasol. Barbasol and the, so go. I want to know, I did like a little bit of Googling. I didn't do a deep dive or anything, Yeah, trying to find out how much... Barbasol paid to get <laughs> to be that iconic yeah. prop. Yeah, I couldn't find anything. If anybody knows, yeah, that's interesting. Because to me, that that thing was. I always, when I was such a little kid, I always just thought it was the coolest thing. Like yeah. Nedry does. He's like, this is the coolest thing. The way it unscrews and then it pops up and you can put the little vials in. It's just something about it. And and, and especially even later when he actually does steal. So there's something super weirdly. There's a bunch of like a couple moments like this in the movie that I found very like tactily satisfying, mm-hmm. like in the way people interact with things. It's a, this is a weird yeah. thing, but this is one of them when he puts the vials in that into each, like mm-hmm. the sound it makes and the way they sit in there. And then when he locks it and then shuts it's it, it's it, like it's, very like, 
It's a very uh, like James Bond yeah. kind of a gadget and too. The, and the sound design on it and the way it like I said, the way it locks and shut and it's just so cool. And I was like, I want one of those. <laughs> I really want so I'm, I'm glad to know that that is in the book because that's one of my favorite props in any movie of all time. So, so this is a big one, kind of, and I thought it was really interesting, and I would be interested to see how they do it in the book. So in the movie, uh, Hammond shows up and he says, I, "I got a proposition. I want you to come mm-hmm. to this park," but he never tells them in the movie, right. "Hey, I made dinosaurs." Yeah. That's never, at least as we say it, they, they do not find out what this is about, really, mm-hmm. until they get there and are in the park and see the dinosaurs. It's yeah. like the implication. Um, and so I'm wondering if that's how it is in the book, or does he more uh, specifically tell them before they fly down there, we made dinosaurs, I want you to come look at them, and, and we made a dinosaur park. Um. It plays out similarly. You kind of get the idea that they might have a little bit of an, an inkling, inkling yeah. of what's going on, but it sounds so ridiculous, ridiculous. Okay. that they're kind of like, yeah, yeah. That's you know. Um, there's also a whole other like plot line, sort of, that happens in the beginning that the movie doesn't. Um, include where there is a small dinosaur found on another island and um, they send the remains of it to hmm. Dr. Grant to have him identify it. Yeah. Um, and he's like, it looks like a dinosaur, but it can't, <laughs> can't be. be. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when they actually go into the park and see the dinosaurs for the first time, that all plays out pretty similarly to the movie. Okay, cool. And that's kind of what I, the feeling I got. And I, that makes sense is that he never outright tells them, but you, you get the feeling that they are like, is this guy hinting at what he yeah. can't be? Yeah. But maybe. And then, yeah. And then they don't really buy it until they're there and they see it. This is a little character thing. Now, obviously it wasn't in the description of Dr. Or not Dr. Hammond of John Hammond. Mm hmm. In, in in the brief description you read of him, but does he have his iconic from the movie walking stick with the amber mosquito amber trapped or the mosquito trapped in amber on top? I don't think so. No, I don't remember. But it would be it would be hard to know if yeah. there's like a little line. About I don't him. remember any specific mention of that in the book. Okay, um, I tried to flip back and see, but like you said, it's probably a throwaway. If line. it is, yeah. yeah. Um. If anybody else read it along with us and remembers, because <laughs> um, I and I feel like I would have marked that, yeah, had I come across it, but I, I really don't. I don't think it's in yeah. the book. And again, it, we read his description, so it's not in his initial yeah. character description. But and he, well, to be fair, he doesn't have it when we first meet him. I don't know when that when when they meet him in the or when. Yeah, I I went back and I double checked his initial introduction and I double checked um where they're actually talking about the amber. Right. And I couldn't find any see, mention like, yeah. of it. Okay. But. So that might be a unique character addition for the film. Yeah. Which it is a very iconic. And it thing is a, for a visual thing yeah. too. Yeah. Cool. Uh all right. And then so speaking of the first time they see the dinosaurs, does Hammond say, Welcome to Jurassic Park? No. No. What? <laughs> no. It's so disappointing. It's like, uh, it's so good. It's, it's really just so good because of how uh, what's his name? Now I'm blanking on the actor's name. Uh, delivers it. It's just yeah. his voice is so great. 
Uh, yeah, it is. Attenborough. Oh, yeah, it's Attenborough. Because it's not. It's it's Attenborough, but it's not <laughs> Richard Attenborough. No, it is Richard Attenborough. It's not David Attenborough. Because David Attenborough is the obviously the famous uh, um voiceover guy who does all the, the nature yeah. movies, nature yeah. documentaries, and Rich. I don't think they're related. They're just British guys. <laughs> Attenborough is probably a common name over there, but maybe they are. I don't know. Um, so he doesn't say "Welcome to Jurassic Park." No. <sighs> Love that line. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Uh, is there a... Because this is interesting, and it makes sense because they're making a theme park slash zoo, as they mm-hmm. say in the movie. Uh, and it's it works well for in the film to explain to us quickly and sort of simply the process. They go on a ride, basically. They mm-hmm. sit down in a big auditorium that moves and, and 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 then there's a video that plays and they see the the lab and it just basically explains the process of how they made dinosaurs mm-hmm. is there a ride like that in the movie or how do we figure how does how does how do they explain the process or um, do they there's not a ride there's a lot of talking um a lot of science babble right. talking yeah. type stuff in the book the movie kind of gives us all that information up front. The book stretches it out a little oh, okay. more. It's more like drawn out. Yeah. Um, and we find out here and there, well, oh, we actually did this to achieve this um, result. And yeah. then you see how it goes terribly, horribly wrong. Um, but I, I liked the way that the movie did it. Um, it's easy to understand, like you said, and it's a great send up of like Disney yeah. and other theme parks yeah. like that. Yeah, I also just like I think it makes a lot of sense because that's the big question the audience is gonna have. Yeah. When you go, we made dinosaurs, the next thing and it's the next thing they would want to know. Right. They would be demanding, you know, as scientists, the three of them would be demanding of him, like how how did you do this? Explain to us how you did how you made dinosaurs, and that's what the audience wants to know. So I think just kind of doing it all at once and being like, "This is how we made dinosaurs," and mm-hmm. explaining it and explaining it through a with a ride where it's very uh, kind of dumbed down and, yeah. and cartoony and, and and simple to understand, relatively speaking, uh, as you know, pseudoscientific as it is, it it makes a, a bit of sense without thinking about it too hard. So I think that that's effective. But no ride in the book. No. All right. Another famous line. Dr. Ian Malcolm, everybody's favorite. Uh, Does he say, life uh, finds a way? Yes. He does? Yes. It's not verbatim to what it is in the movie. But yes, that is in there. Life finds a way. There you go. Uh, I'd imagine they haven't written in the us. And the elms that are inherent in Goldblum's no, that's uh, speech in the book. pattern, because obviously they cast him after the fact, and that's just kind of how he talks. That was kind of my feel. My feeling is that's his take on it, less so than any sort of character instruction he was given. Uh, another fa- infamous, inf- famous uh, Goldblum line: "Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should." Again, yes, yes, but not verbatim. Not verbatim. That one's even less verbatim oh, than yeah? Life Finds a Way. <laughs> okay. But it is in there. All right. Yeah, because that's 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 one of the most quoted. People use that all the time, yeah. you know, even as a joke, but and sometimes seriously. And, like, it's, it's yeah. One I of the use more... that every time they come out with a new weird candy flavor. Yeah, yeah people use that. I mean, people use it colloquially. 
yeah. all the time for just like yeah nonsense. Yeah, that is like, like those key lime pie Twizzlers oh. we ate earlier. Yeah, like, yeah, Ugh. yeah. Why would you? Why? <laughs> okay. Um, another famous. We're just doing. I have a lot of lines because, like I said, everything's so iconic. And this is going back to uh, Arnold's character, uh, Samuel Jackson's character. Uh, we talked about his his cig- uh, his cigarette smoking, chain smoking is. It's in his character description in the book, mm-hmm. the fact that he has a cigarette. How about his iconic line that he uses at least two or three times in the movie? Hold on to your butts. I couldn't find that <laughs> okay. one when I went back and looked. Yeah. I don't think it's in the book. Yeah. Um, that To me, that sounds like a uh, maybe that might have been a Sam Jackson yeah. insert. Yeah. That kind of sounds like him a thing he would say. Maybe not. Maybe it was written, but it, it definitely sounds like something he would try to kind of add in there. But iconic imagery now, instead of iconic lines, the Jurassic Park gate, the giant wooden gate that they mm-hmm. travel through when they enter the park. No, not really. No? No. Okay. There is a, a sign. <laughs> That's not nearly but... as interesting. <laughs> Yeah. No description of an iconic giant Like a gate. giant wooden gate no. resembling, as Dr. Malcolm says, what he got behind there, King Kong, because yeah. they have famously in King Kong the giant door. All right. So it's definitely, I would say, assume it's safe to say that they took that imagery from King Kong. Mm-hmm. Probably. I mean, and I think that's a valid um, source to pull a reference yeah. from for something, for something like, like this. this. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. They're very, uh, very similar in genre. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of cautionary tales about man exploiting nature, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense. All right. The does Doctor Sattler bury herself elbow deep into giant piles of uh, dinosaur droppings? No, she doesn't. Is there any of that scene with the tyrannosaur, or not the tyrannosaur, the... Oh, uh, it's a triceratops, triceratops. In the movie. It's a stegosaurus. Okay, but the there book. is like one that's sick. Yeah, and there is go. one that's sick, and she does help Harding, the veterinarian, yeah, vet, yeah. to diagnose it. Um, what happens in the book is that she can't figure out, she knows it's the berries, yeah. but she's trying to figure out why, um, and she finds piles of gizzard stones. Mm. Which, if you know anything about birds, sometimes yeah. birds will swallow stones because yeah. they don't have the For same like, digestive purposes. mechanisms. Yeah. So they swallow stones to help grind up their food and then cough them back up. It's thought that dinosaurs did the same thing. Okay. Um, so she finds that and deduces that they're swallowing the berries on accident when oh, they pick okay. up the stones. All right. Maybe not as fun as poop. No. But poop is more visual. <laughs> yeah. But she actually doesn't find any, I don't remember how that resolves, she doesn't find any of the things in the stool. She looks and she's like, no. I don't think we ever find out Yeah, how they never resolve that. Movie, That's kind yeah. of just, ta- I, I thought about that. I was like, I don't think, because I was like, in my memory, she finds that they were eating. Yeah. But then when we watched it, I'm like 99% sure, unless I'm mis- like blanking on this from last night, that they she doesn't. She goes, well, I don't she see doesn't. any. She's, and she, then she's like, oh, I'm going to stay here and yeah. help him with this. And then they leave and then yeah, like, we never the plot do is anything off to that. the races. Yeah. Yeah. And it's they never come back to that. I'm a little surprised that they didn't do anything. I'm like, I don't know. Interesting. Okay. Uh, but also, there was one pile of, of, of droppings in that scene that is comically large. The yeah. first one that uh, that Malcolm walks up to and says, you know, that's a giant pile of shit or whatever he says, is comically lo- Like, 
A brontosaurus is maybe, maybe, but that that triceratops is not nearly no. tall enough or big no. enough to be making. <laughs> it's like the size of a of a, a Volkswagen bug. I mean, like. unless we are to assume that they are very tidy and always go in the same spot. But it's like, my it point is that it's not pile. tall enough. The pile is <laughs> higher than it's the body of the. Well, I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm just saying it doesn't. It's a visual gag. Yeah, I know it is. It is, and it, it's funny and it's great. And and I just never thought about it, but I was like, that's not the triceratops. Yeah, that no. thing's as big as the it's pile not. of shit is as big as the <laughs> triceratops is. That's not possible. Uh, all right, uh, more iconic imagery. Uh, in, in fact, one of the most iconic moments from the film, and maybe all of film. The footsteps in the distance causing the tremors in the water. No, that's not. There's no. Okay. Mm -mm. That's yeah. That's one of those. It's one of the most iconic moments in Mm -hmm. the film where the first time the T-Rex shows up, I think. But it's another great visual. And I'm not sure that that would have translated into. I, I think you could that. They they didn't notice that one of the characters didn't they didn't hear anything initially necessarily, but they one of them noticed you know I think you could write that in a way that was interesting maybe, maybe. I think you, I think you could do it that they notice the water shaking and are like stop yeah. every you know and everybody stops and is quiet and then they see the water shaking and then they start to hear the the footsteps I think it would be doable but it's definitely yeah so and uh, so the way they did that apparently. Because I, I remember, I don't know where I saw this in an interview or something. There's just a, in those scenes, at least with the ones where the cups are on like the dashboard of the car, supposedly, mm-hmm. this is what I've heard. It seems like you could just bang on the outside of the car, but so, somebody was sitting inside the car, like under the, like right next to it with an acoustic guitar and was just, like plucking huh. like, the lowest string or something. <sighs> no, nah, 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 I have to look that. I, I, I remember reading something about that. And I thought that was like, seemed not necessary like you could just like <laughs> hit the car or like i don't know yeah and that can't be how they do the part with the puddle later they must like bang on the ground next to it or something something i don't know anyways all right so the <sighs> the trimmers in the water not not from the book does the lawyer get eaten no <laughs> no um this is a complicated okay so Gennaro in the movie is kind of an amalgamation of two different characters in okay. the book. There's Gennaro the lawyer, and then there's Joe Regis, who's the head of PR. Mm-hmm. And Regis gets eaten in the book. Uh, okay. Gennaro lives. Gotcha. He sees it out till the end. But they have, they kind of, just, you're saying, so they just kind of combined those two yeah, characters into yeah. just the lawyer. And so. Yeah. They were and like, then he gets chopped. He gets eaten. Yeah. And they. Uh, lower the number of characters we have to keep track yeah. of. <laughs> yeah. You know what's just funny I thought about? It? Other than like the opening scene, there's not a lot of people in this movie. Yeah. It's pretty bare bones. I mean, there's, there's like, our main cast is uh, three doctors, the two kids, that's five, Hammond is six, Nedry is seven, and, and uh, the, the hunter is eight, and then Arnold. Arnold is nine. That's like yeah. it, pretty much. There's the there's, there's the vet, but oh, the, he's in it first. Yeah, he, well, he's I mean he's in it later, but he also he kind of disappears. disappears. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, okay. Um, so the lawyer doesn't get eaten, but the other guy, the PR guy, does. But the lawyer in the movie is both of them combined, so he gets yeah. eaten. He gets yeah. half eaten. 
which is actually what happens because they find him in two different places in yeah. the movie. <laughs> His body. Um, does Newman get eaten by a Dilophosaurus? Yes. I say Newman, uh, Nedry. <laughs> yeah. Newman in Seinfeld. He gets eaten by a Dilophosaurus? Yes. Do, in the book, do they spit? Yes. Because that's not scientifically accurate at all. So I was wondering if that was from the book. Apparently there's zero evidence that there are any dinosaurs that spit stuff on people uh that is in the book um and the <laughs> that scene is pretty horrific in the book in the book yeah because we experience it from his perspective yeah yeah it's, it's pretty gruesome it's definitely played uh more for kind of laughs yeah to some extent in the movie because he's i mean there's even a notice that i, I don't know if i've ever noticed this when he slips after he gets out of the car to go, he's going to put the chain around the mm-hmm. tree or whatever to get his car down to the road. He slips on the on the water, like he's standing on like a waterfall kind of area. And when he slips in the movie, it makes like a cartoon slipping noise. It goes like whoop. <laughs> yes, it that. does. It a hundred percent makes like a whoop, oh, <laughs> like a, like God. a car, like a banana peel slipping noise. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's silly. I never noticed that. Mm. Um, yeah, and then because there's a the whole thing where he tries to play with it like a dog. He's like, go yeah. fetch and that sort of thing. And it, yeah, it's definitely played more for laughs. It still has its moment where it's like, it's not, it's it's dark humor because it's definitely still creepy and weird, you know, when the thing's in the car. Anyways, uh, all right. Gets eaten by a Dilophosaurus and they do spit in the book, even though that is not accurate. They don't do that. They're supposed to. I did like 10 minutes of Googling. I was like, I don't think there are any dinosaurs <laughs> that actually spit stuff. And the one article I looked at was like, nah, probably not. I mean, probably not. But <laughs> we don't really have that That's much true. soft tissue to look at. That's so. true. You never know. All right. Uh, staying on the uh, characters getting covered in... Expectorant? Expectorant. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Does Lex get sneezed on? No. Oh, it's not in the no, book. no brontosaurus sneezing in no. the book? Okay. Well, that's all right. It's it's fine. It's. I feel like there's probably more jokes in the like more humor in the movie yeah. than is uh, evident in the book, it seems like. Yeah. Well, a few more of those. Uh, it's a fun family blockbuster summer movie. They got to have, you know. Gotta have the jokes. Gotta have the jokes. Does Tim get electrocuted? No. He doesn't? Mm-mm. Is there a scene where they have to climb a fence and there's like a... I don't remember them having to climb a fence. Oh, okay. So then that whole thing is out. Because I was like... Because the parallel action of her restarting the power yeah. and them on the fence is very tense. You know, like, are they going to make it over in time? So that's not... That was added for the movie. Yeah, I, I don't remember that happening in the book at all. All right. Uh, when, uh, at one point, when she's going to start, when Sattler's going to restart the electricity after Ned screwed it all up, they need to restart this whole system, they reboot it, but then Sattler has, somebody has to go and turn the main breakers on, or what, I, you know, mm-hmm. you know some, some thing has to happen, uh, and her and, what's his name, the hunter? Muldoon. Muldoon go to the other end of the compound and they're getting tracked by velociraptors mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, and she runs in and gets the power restarted, blah, blah, blah. But Muldoon gets eaten mm-hmm. by a velociraptor. Does that happen similarly? And most importantly, does he say the line, clever girl, right before he gets eaten? 
There is no clever girl. Oh, okay. It's the only part that matters. <laughs> um, he lives to the end. Oh, so does he? Doesn't he doesn't, doesn't get, get eaten. eaten. Yeah. Well, it's funny because they bring back a very similar character in, from my memory, in the second movie. Mm-hmm. There's a a new him, basically, <laughs> and I wonder if in the book it's the same guy. Yeah, but, maybe. But they wanted to kill. Some, they needed to kill a few more people in the movie. Maybe I'm. Th- I'm. Tr- I'm trying yeah. to wonder because there is a very similar guy who's like the safar, so the big game hunter that's mm-hmm. in the sequel, from what I remember. And he, he even has like he's like Australia. Like he's like seems like the same, the same character. character. I I don't know. I haven't read the Lost World. Okay. So I, I don't know. Um, what similarities there may or may not be to to that book, and I've honestly like the two, like Jurassic Park two and three. I've only seen bits and pieces of. I think I've seen them both. I've uh, seen two probably a bit more. Um, I've seen it a handful more times. It's got a really great couple, really great scenes in it. Overall, it's not quite as good as the first one. Which but. one um, has the scene at the beginning where the little girl gets bitten by a? That's the second one. The second one. No. Like, Yes, yes, that's the second one. That scene's in this book. Oh, is it? FYI. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the second one, because the beginning of the third one is they're uh, parasailing, and mm. somebody, and they're like parasailing, and then one of the kids parasailing, one of them gets eaten or something, mm. and then the other one falls, or no, the people on the boat get eaten. They're like, they go through a cloud, and they look down, the people on the boat got eaten, and then the peop- the guy in the parasail, parasailing, him and like a, it's like a little kid, and they crash on an isle on the island, oh. and then they like have to survive. And the whole thing is about them going, uh, some rich people paying Doctor Grant to go try to rescue their kid from the island because mm. they think he's still alive, which he is. But um, that's the third one, and the second one I'm pretty sure is the one that starts with the family like on a yacht with like yeah. a little girl, yeah. and she gets eaten by the little dinosaurs because those little dinosaurs are in the second movie. Okay. It's like a pack of like yeah, tiny they're dinosaurs. Little, um, I don't remember the name of them, but they're like scavengers yeah. in the book. They like eat half dead things and small things. There's yeah. a whole other thing where they're like attacking babies. That's really horrific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the second. That happens in the second one. So okay, interesting. No clever girl. That's wildly disappointing. Uh, the kitchen raptor scene. Up there with the most iconic scenes in the film, does the do they hide from raptor velociraptors in the kitchen? Yes, that scene is in the book. It plays out slightly differently, yeah. but it is there. It is there. Okay, that's yeah, that's a that's a big one. And then this we know is different, but uh, well, I assume must be different because in the prequel episode we talked about how Steven Spielberg wanted to rewrite the ending to feature the Tyrannosaurus mm-hmm. Rex because he's like this is the this yeah, is this the is money the, yeah, it's the money shot. So in the movie, they're they're running for their lives. They get out of the kitchen. They re, uh, the kids reunite with Doctor Grant and Doctor Sadler, uh, and they they end up in like the visitor center, like the that we first saw. You know, it's like the main entryway, like the mm-hmm. big visitor center. And they're cornered by two raptors. And right as they're think where they're about to get eaten, T Rex comes bursting through and grabs the Velociraptors and is throwing them around and eats them, and then they get away. That scene is not in the book. All right. Well, we knew it wasn't because Spielberg said he <laughs> yeah. rewrote the ending. The so. ending is very different. Okay. Let's talk about that. I mean, now if there's a better in the book, better in the movie, we can save it for that. Or if you want to talk about how it's different now, we can do that. Um. 
some of the stuff leading up to the ending is similar. Um, the raptors are kind of like laying siege to the visitors. Yeah. Quarters area, sleeping yeah. place. Um, it's not the exact same, but it's a similar concept. Um, they get the electricity back on. So that kind of, in the book, that stops the raptors in there from their advances. Because oh, okay. now the electricity is back on. So right. they can't like keep coming through. So <laughs> after that happens, um, I don't know. It's It's tough to describe almost because... The ending of the book, I don't want to call it anticlimactic, because I don't think it's anticlimactic, but it's definitely more, like, technical yeah. than the movie is. Like, you know, in the movie, we've got the raptors, and then the T-Rex comes in, and, and, rah, and it's all very away. action-packed. Yeah. And then in the next shot, they're, like, in the helicopter yeah. flying yeah. away. Yeah. Um, I, could, I, I felt like they streamlined <laughs> that, that yeah. sort of end of it. Um, in the book, they run a computer simulation to what well, not a simulation they run like one of the computer programs to try and figure out how many dinosaurs are actually on the island and then they have to go and there's a raptor nest on one part of the island so they have to like go and investigate that and see if they can figure out like actually how many raptors and like eggs are down there and spoiler alert there's a ton of oh, them well, that's interesting um, and then because we do, they do make. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but they do make an illusion in the movie. They we do see at one point that they ha, ha, are able to yes. breed. Even and that though is, they that's a they much bigger thing in yeah. the book than it is in it the movie. It seemed like it. It should have been. Yeah. Because um, he never really even mentions it. We see it. Right. But I guess maybe he does mention it to one of them, but like very briefly, and it's like not really important. We're more worried about like the big finale. Yeah, that's way more of a thing in yeah. the book than it is in the movie. Um. So they go and they investigate the raptor nest, and then they, they're able to get off the island. The Costa Rican government sends, yeah, like, like... the Coast Guard or something. The Coast Guard or, like, like special forces oh, or something okay. to get them off the island. Um, and then it's kind of implied that Costa Rica, like, nukes the island. Oh. Because... Um, and again, I haven't seen the sequel movies. I haven't yeah. read The Lost World, but I think the action like moves to another island. It is a different island. And, yeah, they somehow got off the. I can't remember, but they're. I'm pretty sure it's not Isla Nubar in the sequels. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's a slightly adjacent island. But it ends with all of them like kind of stuck in Costa Rica because the government doesn't want to let them leave because. They just caused like yeah a giant uh, crisis of a big old problem. Yeah. Like, makes <laughs> like sense. An environmental crisis. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, definitely a lot cleaner. A little, yeah. little, little, little more. Uh, not. Uh, yeah. A little more. Uh, it's not even so much more of a feel good ending as it is just a not dealing with right. any the, of the, the fallout. The book deals with the fallout. <laughs> yeah. Which is thematically appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. The movie, not so much. No. Uh, it, it makes more sense in the in the sense of the cautionary tale yeah. that we discussed um, that, that the movie is, or that the story is, to address the fallout mm -hmm. of the situation and, and everything that comes after. 
I don't even think they really touch on it too much in like the sequel movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fallout in the sequel movies is that there's more dinosaurs still on other island. Like it, 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 it there's more problems from the first yeah. movie, but they never really touch on the fact. I'm sure there's throwaway lines about Hammond and what happened and that sort of thing. I just don't. It's been so long since I've seen those movies, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's a. I get why the movie changed it and made it cleaner and and easier, but well, we'll we'll get it on when we get on to it in, yeah. in, in other segments. But uh, real quick, then let's move on to Lost in adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Wow, was lost. Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. I just have one here, uh, and I'm hoping the book has more input on this mm-hmm. because it, I've I've realized I never really understand and stood why they brought Dr. Ian Malcolm. Mm-hmm. So they bring uh, the three uh, specialists to the island uh, to get them to sign off on the idea because the investors are worried because a guy died right. in the beginning. And so the investors are like, get some experts to be like, nah, it's all good. Is the In the movie, the implication. So I, I get the paleontologist, mm-hmm. uh, which is Dr. Grant, and paleobotanist, sure, which is Sattler. Why a chaos theorist? Is, so one, that's I assume that's what he is. He's like a philosophy guy, like a chaos theory. Like He's a mathematician. Thing. Mathematician, yeah. right. So why him? So he's the, um, the pioneering theorist on chaos theory. Right. So the explanation that we're given in the book, and it is a little hard to go back and find a, a satisfying a specific, like, specific yeah. explanation for this because it's kind of all scattered throughout the book. Right. But I think the idea is that this law firm hired him because he is the pioneering mind on chaos theory, which is like tries to find small patterns in unpredictable behavior. Right. So they hired him to basically like investigate the situation and see where it fits in with his theory and see if he thinks that the park is viable or I, not. I guess I could see from the idea with the cast area and thing, him being a mathematician and, and stat, maybe even statistician to some yeah point or to some effect that they want him to basically go look at the operation and to think and, and kind of think it through and see if he thinks it it has it, where he thinks the problems lie, yeah. like where it, things could go off the rails. Basically. Yeah, I mean that's basically it. Is that he's there to kind of look at it and say, okay, here's what's going to go wrong, right? Which I I guess I get. It still seems a little strange that he'd be the person and not like I don't know some of the like whoever the leading zoo like person who's in charge of the world's biggest zoo. Or, you know what I mean? Like, who deals with a bunch of very dangerous animals and knows how to keep them in captivity and the way the systems work to keep them from getting out and hurting people and all that stuff. So you would think those would be more of the kind of people they would want, not like a chaos theory mathematician <laughs> seems a little strange to me, but anyways, I, okay. But yeah, that I, I get it at least a, a little bit. In the movie, I feel like they glance and gloss over it so quickly that I'm just like, yeah. Why? You're like, why, why is he who there? is this guy? Why? He's just like. He's just he's, there to flirt with Laura yeah, Dern. Yeah, he's just there to flirt with Laura Dern, like, uncomfortably. <laughs> All right, well, then let's move along to Better in the Book. You like to read? Oh, yes. 
I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. All right, so this is a big thing for me because I have a thing about this. Okay. And the book, Grant and Sattler are not together. Interesting. Absolutely not. And I get it from a character arc perspective for him with the kids. Fine. Yeah. But it's just so damn Hollywood to be like, oh, we have to have the romance. They have to be together. And I think it's more interesting and unexpected to have them not be together. Also in the book, she's his graduate student. Oh. Like, he's in his 40s and she's in her 20s. Yeah. They look, they appear to be slightly closer in age in the movie. Yeah. Um, she's still younger than him, yeah. considerably. She looks... Maybe not considerably, a, a, but, but... At least a bit younger Like, five than to ten him. years younger, at least. Um, I'll push back, only in the sense that I agree it definitely feels like the Hollywood thing to do. Um, which they break up, I think, subsequently. I'm pretty sure they're not together in, like, the sequels well mm. th- neither of them are in the second one mm. spoiler and uh <laughs> grants in the third one so yeah. uh, the second one's just uh dr malcolm and some other people new characters from my if my memory serves me correctly oh and his daughter his daughter's in the second one uh dr. malcolm oh. one of his kids so i'll push back though on the idea that them being together yes i agree it's definitely a hollywood thing i kind of like it uh, in this, I like the nature. One, I like with his growth with the kids thing is interesting because he hates kids and she kind of. But I, the other thing I like is that she's never like she's like not like dying to have kids, but she she kind of like wants to have kids. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the other thing I like is that one of the things I like so much about her character in the movie is how self-possessed she is and mm-hmm. how competent she is. Yeah. I really like that in the movie and I think it's interesting that or I like the fact that she is his they're together whatever like there's no they never really define it necessarily but they're together yeah. and that she's still that self-possessed competent character who their relationship works very well to me because they seem to respect each other a lot. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, neither of them. I'll give it this. The movie is not in your face about their relationship. No. There's like a couple moments where yeah. it's. And well, there's like three moments. There's the, and even the, the one is just. When, so there's the part at the beginning where they he's kind of like, when they, they're walking down to the dig site and they're kind of like holding each other. Mm-hmm. And then there's a the moment later where after uh, Malcolm's been hitting on her the whole time, he's like, he asks Grant, he's like, are you two a thing? And Grant's like, yeah. Embarrassing. Yeah. And then uh, there's the moment when they reunite at the end where she like yeah. jumps on him. But they don't even kiss, I don't think. They just like hug. Yeah. And it's, and it's the same reaction you would have if you after you've been through what she's been through with like anybody that you saw. <laughs> like if you're like, I might not get eaten by the dinosaurs. Um, so yeah, they're not in your face about it, and I, I also just liked the dynamic of their relationship for two people that are. I guess my point is that I thought their di- their the dynamic of their relationship was something you don't see a lot in a movie, especially not a big movie, where 
they're in for a romantically involved couple. I thought their dynamic was something that was unusual. No, I for agree. Hollywood. I and agree, I, and I thought it was refreshing. And just looking at the movie, them being in a relationship doesn't bother me, and it, it never really did. But yeah. having read the book, um, like it annoys me a little bit because it's such a Hollywood cliche to make that change. Yeah. So I get your point. Yeah, if you didn't know, like, because I didn't, and if you don't know about that not being the case mm-hmm. to me not knowing that it just felt like an interesting cool um representation of two professional people in a relationship yeah. together because it's not in your face because they very clearly respect each other a lot because they're they're never neither of them ever talks down to the other they very much just seem like two um passionate like about their careers people who happen to also like each other yeah like i thought that was cool like representation of that type of relationship but knowing that in the book that's not the case, I could see how you'd be like, well, why did you even add that? Yeah. Like, I can, I, I, I see that. Um, something that I thought definitely worked better in the book was um, kind of the introduction of Dennis Nedry. Mm-hmm. Because you don't know it's him when you're first introduced to him. They don't tell you his name. Oh, you mean, so when were you first in, when, how, what when is When we those? first meet him, it's the same scene with, where he's uh, Dodson. with, yeah, with okay. Dodson. But when, we don't know it's him. Yes. And I mean, having seen the movie, I knew it was him. Right. But I but, thought it was kind of cool that like, for a couple chapters there, you don't know who the traitor is. Right. Like, you don't know who it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, they couldn't really do that in the movie. Yeah. Well, they could. They could shoot him as a shadowy figure. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they would have to do it in a way where you somehow didn't see mm-hmm. him. Or hear him. Or hear his him. Voice yeah, his voice is, is so incredibly distinct. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how it would have been doable. So, yeah. But I, that, I see what you're saying. That is That could be interesting that you yeah. don't know. You're like, oh, is it Arthur? Is it is, is it, it Maldoon? Yeah, is, is it guy, Maldoon? Is it this is it, yeah. guy? We just don't know. Yeah. So there's a bit of mystery there. Yeah. That's not. And I mean, of... it is a mystery that's pretty quickly resolved. Right. Like he doesn't hang on to that mystery for very long, but it is, you know, it is for a couple chapters. So it's it's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, the kind of warnings about the recklessness of science without ethics is a little more nuanced, um, and explored a little more deeply in the book. So that's cool. I like that. Yeah, it's pretty surface level in the movie. Yeah. I, although, in retrospect, I did like... I guess this is a good place as any to get into it. I did like one that... They made it pretty clear, at least in the movie, and I'd be interested to see where it all goes in the book, that it's not necessarily... It's not... It's not even necess- not necessarily... It's It's not science that's the problem. It's abusing science in the pursuit of profit essentially yeah and now hammond doesn't necessarily come across that way in the movie like he's just in it for the money in fact he he's played very much the opposite mm-hmm. and that he's sort of just really wants to share this with people and that sort of thing but there is a very specific uh financial angle that right. all of his investors and the lawyers and all of the other people that are funding this thing He's sort of removed from him a little bit, but everybody else involved in this process, uh, not the scientists, all of the other business people, it's the business side of it that's the problem, <laughs> not mm-hmm. just necessarily the fact that they've done this research and that they, they, at least that's the vibe I get from the movie. And the other thing, more importantly, that I liked and thought was interesting 
is that you know this wouldn't have even been the, not only is that not a problem in the movie the the only real problem is that one of the guys is real greedy and wants a lot of money and so he i mean they would have had no issues had nedry not it's true i mean as it's I mean, presented in the film we would not they should not have had any issues had Nedry not shut down half of the park's security and power and in order to be able to rob. Right. Um, the book, that's, I mean, that's present in the book, but there are other yeah. issues on top of that. Right. Like the uh, fact that they're breeding. Yes, is that's a, true. a way bigger issue in the book. And that's that's one of the places where the book kind of goes after... The idea of science without, like, careful forethought yeah, and trying to, like, look forward and right. think about what you're doing and how it's going to affect yeah. things on down the line. Because in the book, they just put the frog DNA in right. without thinking about, oh, how is this going to affect this creature that right. I'm building? And whoops, yeah. it affects them a lot. Right. And I, I get that. My my thing is that, and I don't want to get into a huge, uh, I, I could derail this forever, but <laughs> my problem is when you start telling stories like that, it's people already think that's not how science operates most, like 99% of the time. And, and to me, it represents this idea of it's the same thing where people have problems with GMOs and, and, and all this stuff. Because they think that's what scientists do, that they just, oh, we'll just grab some genes and slap it in a thing and see what happens. Like, that's not how scientists operate. And that's not how, especially not uh, in a, it, when it comes to things like GMOs and, and that sort of thing where they've been tested so thoroughly and they have thought a million steps down the road of, okay, if we put this thing in this thing, what's the outcome going to be? Uh, and they thought of all that stuff. And now this is a good cautionary tale if you don't think of that stuff. But I think to me, my problem is when with with stuff with that kind of story is that it gives the inclination that that's how scientists in in the world actually operate. And I I think it's not that's not an accurate portrayal. And I think that that's damaging to people's understanding and the representation of quote unquote science in the world and that i think it is does it, i i don't know if it this book necessarily and movie necessarily have done the harm i'm imagining but i i it bothers me when you, the messaging of well these crazy scientists just do it's just playing God, slapping chemicals around and seeing what happens. That's not how it works. And I don't like when people portray that it works that way. And like, well, look, see, that's what happens. You get dinosaurs eating everybody. It's like, yeah, like it's a good story. It's a fun story. Like I get, I get it in the context of your book. It's just, that's my problem with the whole thing. It just, there people already mistrust science enough without us writing made up stories about how scientists don't think far enough ahead and like or could ruin the world. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's, it, but I, I get it. And at the same time, yes, absolutely. Responsible science is an incredibly important thing. And, and it's something we should always be striving for. I think it's just the perception, the, the general populace's perception of science has been skewed by stories like this to think that, it actually lean that that the reality of scientific research in the world leans towards the reckless like we don't think about what 
outcomes could possibly happen with the research we're doing. We just do it and see what happens. Like, I think people think it's more like that when in reality it's way far the other direction. Mm-hmm. And I and I just worry that stories like this keep skewing that perception further away from reality. I, I don't disagree. Um, and I think that's definitely a surface level way to read it. Um, All right, burn. Jesus. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, like, I've, I can see where a lot of people would read this particular book that way. Um, and I have, again. And I don't. I think you can read it that way. I think there's a way to read it a little bit a little bit deeper because he does bring that kind of capitalist thing back into it. There's a whole like intro at the beginning of this book where he talks about how um science has mainly been taken over by like corporations and like you said they're out for money. Right. So they're maybe not doing their dil- due diligence is the idea that he's getting at. Yeah. I think he's more worried about capitalists than he is about scientists. I hope so because I share <laughs> those concerns. I'm just <laughs> That's just my take on what I worry people get from stories like this uh because people are dumb. I don't know. I it's yeah. Anyways, and and I yeah. And again, I haven't read the book, so I the, all of the new. I'm taking this purely from sort of right. the film and sort of just trying to put myself in the shoes of a dummy who's not thinking beyond to, to things like you know. Oh, there's uh, implications of when capitalist systems uh, start doing science in order to maximize profit models, and well, like I'm, I, they're just thinking about like science. Well, these scientists they didn't think about it. Now dinosaurs are eating everybody. Sure, don't trust. Don't trust those scientists. They tell me I can eat GMOs, and look what they did on Jurassic Park. They made those <laughs> dinosaurs, and they ate everybody. So why should I eat GMOs? Because they're safe. <laughs> I know. I'm I know. Just, uh, I know. All right. Anyways. All right. It is much more nuanced in the book, I, so I liked that. I agree. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, so we talked about the dinosaurs breeding. We talked about Nedry's death scene. Um, I'm going to run through a quick list. This is going to be like a, a sub section of Better in the Book. I have titled this. Um, dope ass shit that didn't make it into the movie. <laughs> All right, I'm on board. Let's do it. Um, T Rex swimming like a crocodile and following Grant and the kids while they're on a raft. That happens in the second, third movie. Oh, this will be a fun game. Kind of. There's a dinosaur <laughs> that swims like a crocodile in one of the later movies. Oh, and they're on a raft. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's the third right. movie that they do that. Um, some pterodactyls try to carry off Lex. Yeah, that's, pterodactyls are in the third or second. They're, that happens in the, one of the later movies. The pterodactyls show up. Um, <laughs> Tim almost gets eaten by the T-Rex. Like he, like the T-Rex like sticks his tongue out and like grabs his ankle and tries to pull him towards. I don't know if dinosaur don't know tongues if could T-Rex actually tongues do that. T-Rex tongues were like that, but... <laughs> But again, we don't have soft tissue, so who knows? Who knows? Who's to say? Uh, yeah. right, um, but it's enough. a creepy scene. Yeah. Uh, that. Uh, so the kids aren't, from my memory, neither of the kids are in any of the sequels. So okay. that wouldn't... Well, the, the, and like I said, the thing with Lex and the T-Rex was a different character getting grabbed by T-Rexes right, like, in the later yeah. movie. So. Um, or not T-Rexes, uh, pterodactyls. 
There's a scene at the end where Grant kills some raptors by tricking them into eating eggs that he has injected with a deadly toxin. Yeah, that didn't happen in any other ones that I recall. Um, one of the problems that they're dealing with in the book is that they know some raptors have stowed away on the boat that's headed to the mainland. That's the second one. So one kind of, of one of the reasons that it's so important for Grant and the kids to get back to the visitors' lodge is because they're the only ones who know yeah. that can tell them about these raptors. It doesn't happen in the second one, but in the second one, the T Rex is on the boat and eats everybody, mm-hmm. and then escapes when it gets back to New York. I don't know, it gets back oh, to the mainland. Doesn't it go to Los Angeles? Yeah, probably. Isn't that the, the, so the third one, that's the one where the T-Rex is in Los Angeles. No, that's the second one. Oh, the that's second the end one. of the second one. Gosh dang. Okay. That's, yeah, the end of the second one, the T-Rex gets back to the mainland. The raptor nest I mentioned earlier. They go and find the raptor nest, which is in like a volcano. It sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, like a volcano full of velociraptors. It doesn't get much cooler than yeah, that. Yeah, well, it, I feel like you could do a very uh, alien type, alien, the movie alien type thing with the eggs in the yeah. volcano, like yeah. the creepy passage, like, you know, like lava tubes that they're going through. With, yeah, with like eggs everywhere and velociraptors hiding in the corners. Yeah, it could be very creepy and awesome. Um, there are different character deaths in the book Uh-oh. than there are in the movie. Does Dr. Ian Malcolm die? No. Oh, thank God. No, wait. Yes, he does. <laughs> what? Yes, he does. I forgot about that because it, he doesn't. He doesn't like get eaten or die in a blaze of glory, but what? he does die. He is injured more in the book than he is in the movie. He's like way more grievously injured. Like there are bones sticking out of his flesh oh. and stuff. Um, and he spends most of the book like high on morphine. And, like, saying, like, really great shit while he's high on morphine. Yeah. Um, he just does he it stone up... cold sober in the movie. We're sorry. He's, <laughs> he is drinking throughout the film. But... He ends up dying, though, because they can't get him off the island fast enough. That was a, that, That's a better in the movie. I'm marking it down right now. The <laughs> fact that he gets to come back for a sequel and another sequel. <laughs> no, Wu dies. The scientist. Oh well, yeah. yeah. He can't Wong's die. Beatty Wong can't die yeah, in no, the movies because he is pivotal now. Yeah, he dies in the book. Um, that was when I was home for lunch that day, and oh. I was reading, and I went, "Oh shit!" Yeah, that was when he died. <laughs> uh, yeah, he just disappears. All the workers, like yeah. most of the workers, get on the ferry and leave. Yeah, and when the storm before the storm, um, comes. and then there's another character death that I want to talk about a little bit more later. Okay. And that's all I have for better in the book. All right. That was some dope ass shit that happened in the book and not in the movie. <laughs> Let's move on to better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. So the movie really simplifies the explanation of why there are some potential legal issues, like why the investors are nervous about the park. Yeah. By showing us that worker dying. Yeah. Um, I think it, it maybe has a little bit more strife in the book. It's implied that there have been maybe a lot of deaths. More than one. Yeah. yeah. Deaths and injuries and bad shit happening. Um, but I think the movie ex- explains it a little more clearly. Yeah. And I, I had a note on that. I was like, that family absolutely deserves to sue the company. Yeah. Because one, so this super advanced, you know, 
park that like they were they're designed to hold dinosaurs one they don't have a, a crane that they can use to raise the some guys gotta yeah, get right? on top He's of the cage go on and, top of there you don't you like, can't get a crane to this, or like a forklift thing to pull that how up did he, how did that sucker end up with that job he drew the short straw that day yeah for real like <laughs> even more importantly on top of that you're telling me that the cage mechanism you don't have a way to lock that to because the reason he gets eaten in that scene is the thing like kicks somehow pushes mm-hmm. the cage away. Yeah, the, the cage, the, the the thing they were transporting it into its enclosure, it somehow kicks that away from the wall so that there's a gap where it can grab him and eat him. What a hundred percent part of your design would be when we move that that the container in, mm-hmm. it locks to the enclosure so that there is no way for the dinosaur to separate it from the enclosure yeah. and yeah. then get out. Like, it, and I think, like, I mean, I think we could connect that back to the perils of science and capitalism combined right but like uh, they're yeah. so eager for the park to open to that make they the money and sell the t-shirts they didn't that, do everything correctly right no and that's that's fair yeah cutting corners in order to maximize yes. profits yeah evil um i liked the informational ride video we mentioned that earlier uh the dino dna Video. Yes. You do yes. the voice better than I do. Dino DNA. There we go. So in the book, uh, Lex is the younger sibling. Oh, okay. And Tim is older. He's like 11 and she's like eight or nine, maybe. Um, and I'm going to count swapping them as a good choice. Um, one, because Lex was really obnoxious in, in the, the book. book. Like, I hated her. I cheered when I thought the pterodactyls were going to carry her <laughs> away because she was so irritating. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think made that a good choice was that uh, Tim is similarly obsessed with dinosaurs in the book. Not that an 11-year-old can't be obsessed with dinosaurs. They totally can. Right. I think it's maybe just a little more endearing coming from, like, a little kid. Yeah. And he's probably, I, I think they swapped him, but also aged them both up slightly. Like, she seems struck, I don't know, to me it struck me more as, like, 10 and 13 instead of, like... Oh, see, they strike me more as, like, 7 and 11. Oh, okay. Maybe. I am i don't know how old kids are when I look at them, so <laughs> I, I can't tell. Like, kids just, they all look, they're like, I. it could be any age when they're under, like, 18 or 19. They're all just, like kids um the line woman inherits the earth is not in the book oh the whole spiel that yeah and i love that line um and i i never thought about it but now i feel like it's made even better by the fact that the dinosaurs are all female yeah yeah no yeah that's true that totally you know i never connected that with yeah yeah i never thought i never put that together it's good um we talked about the shaking cups of water Uh uh-huh that was, I think, a good ad, um, kind of reminiscent of Jaws. Yeah, like very that. much a Jawsy yeah. type. That's that building of tension off camera before, which this movie does a lot of. Which mm-hmm. is the famously in Jaws, uh, the dinosaur wasn't Earth a dinosaur, basically a dinosaur. The uh, the shark wasn't ready yet, so you don't see it until yeah. much later in the film than they had originally meant for. Uh, but that actually works to the benefit of the film. And mm-hmm. in this, this is a very similar thing. You do not see in the opening scene where the guy gets eaten by a dinosaur, you do not see a dinosaur. I mean, like yeah. flashes of like 
maybe scales or whatever yeah. through stuff, but like you don't see the dinosaur. Um, and same thing, even building up uh, with the T Rex. You know, there's so many yeah. times where you think you're going to see it and you don't see it. And I, another good change that they made coming off of that too um, was that in the book they see the dinosaur eat the goat. Oh yeah. Before they come back and it actually breaks out of its enclosure. So I think like not having it come out and eat the goat was a yeah, good decision. Yeah, because yeah. So you're saying that when they tempt it with the goat, it, they see it. It comes and they yeah. see it in that moment. Oh yeah, it's much better because in the movie. Nothing happens. The goat sits yeah. down. They could drive away, and then when they show back up later, the goat's gone. I'm upset for that goat. Breaks out. You and Lex both. I liked that they eliminated um, the PR guy character, combined him with Gennaro, and then mm-hmm. just killed Gennaro. He was pointless anyway. Yeah. But I thought Gennaro was the best representation of the part two of our three-part cautionary tale, kind of. Or he basically he really does represent the greed, mm-hmm. the the uh, capitalistic corner cutting, the mm-hmm. uh, everything wrong with the park. Pretty much, yeah, is embodied in him because <laughs> he's worried about the investors. Only he's only worried about the investors. He's only right. worried about himself. He's worried about making money and and how much uh, merch they can sell and all that sort of stuff. And you know, and he's like, oh sure, we'll have a coupon day so poor people can come. Fine, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. I think he, yeah, so. I liked having him because it abated some of my problems with the potential interpretations of the film. Um, the Jeep chase scene, way better in the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, there is a, a short scene that's similar in the book, but it's not nearly as... Must go faster. Pulse pounding. Must go faster. <laughs> um, kitchen scene, I also thought was better in the movie. Yeah, kitchen scene is so good. And for me, like, the big thing... Like, okay, books are amazing. You'll never get me to say otherwise. (laughs) That said, there are some things that just really jump up and down and scream for a visual medium. And dinosaurs Dinosaurs. are one of those things. One of those things. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So that was what I had for Better in the Movie. Okay. Did you have any general notes? Because there was just one big thing that I wanted to talk about. I had two things. Okay. Um, one, and I, I, I mentioned this earlier, that there's a couple things that I've always found super tactily satisfying. Mm-hmm. One of them is the can, the mm-hmm. the, bar, the storage can for the embryos and, and the way he's when he's sliding them in, the sound, everything about that. The other one, other moment in this movie that was always super satisfying to me, for, like that I always... I don't even know what it is about it. I mean, I guess I do. It's it's the moment where Sattler is restarting the power. Mm -hmm. She gets into the the substation or whatever, and and it's all those switches going down the thing. And she has to open the little plastic door and push the button on each one. Something about the way the sound the little door makes when she opens it, the sound the button makes when she pushes it, and then it goes from red to green. And then she does like a bunch of them in a row. There's something about that scene that is so like... It's like it's like it's like visual ASMR. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like something about it, and I, I'm sure I guess not some of it's audio auditory too because of the sound that they make and that sort of thing. Very satisfying moment when she's pushing all those buttons, and it, it's funny because it's <laughs> it's played against the worried that they're gonna get electrocuted yeah. on the fence, but yeah. still I don't care. I was like, I just fucking electrocute <laughs> them. Push those buttons. <laughs> 
Oh, the other thing I had was uh, so there's a, there's a, there's a discussion of the fact that Lex is like a hacker, mm-hmm. and that's like one of her character things. So she says she's a hacker, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of comes back at the end of the film where she's the one who uh, locks the doors again, goes through yeah. the computer and yeah. locks the doors as the Raptors are trying to get in because Sattler and Grant are holding the door shut or whatever. I was really disappointed because. I remembered how goofy that scene is where they're like flying through how I, I, I assume she says it's a Unix system. I, I am not a computer like tech. Per, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I know a bit about computers, but like I'm not remotely. So somebody might be able to correct me on this. But the, that interface that she uses to to do that is so dumb and not what that sort of system would have. Because here's the thing. Early in the, this is the thing that's really frustrating. And I think it what my biggest complaint about this moment is that I think it it robs her of an interesting character moment mm-hmm. because basically all she does is she flies through a menu from like a top down view of like the systems are like look like buildings in like a city, and she finds the one that says uh, visitor center and then the one that says door locks and double clicks it and then the doors lock. Right, like it takes anybody could yeah, do anybody that. Could like it takes no knowledge or skill. But the thing is that earlier in the movie, with all of Nedry's stuff and all of the programming we see, actually looks fairly, from what I know of mm-hmm. programming, looks fairly representative of what, you know, it's just like lines of code. And yeah. like when and like when Arnold's like trying to get into these like access security console and it's like denied X, like that, from my understanding, that's what that would kind of look like. To me, I always thought it would be so much more interesting if she had to actually do that. Yeah. No, I, I agree. You know what with I mean? You. Like if yeah. she had to go in and type out like access uh, visitor center uh, uh, door locks, blah, 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 and yeah. like actually use what she says skills she has to to fix that problem would be more interesting, and it wouldn't look so goofy. Like it, now, I will maybe slightly counter that by pointing out that it was nineteen ninety three. So maybe not everybody could have gone in and done the computer stuff because not everybody like computers okay i see what you're saying computers weren't a right. part of the in fabric of our society right yet. right right right. and that at that time yeah very few people yeah. had used computer right that had, was yeah. that's the point that i'm making right but i agree with you in that one we've already seen the lines of code and like we've yeah. seen it look, look more, fairly realistic more realistic yeah. and two she does say that she has skills in this kind sort of, of skill yeah and, and, it, I, and, it, and I think you're right. I think they could have made it more interesting at yeah. the very least. Yeah, and it just and it is the way they do. It, it's more visual, and I'm air quoting visual because yeah. it is, but it's stupid. And it hasn't aged well. I don't think. Like I think it's so goofy looking to me. I, I could be wrong, but I think it looks stupid as shit. But yeah, I was like, man, just have her like actually type. You know, do do that. It'd be yeah. so much more interesting. I do want to just bring up real quick before I get into my thing. I think of this every time I watch this movie. The score is so freaking gorgeous. Oh, it's great. It's John Williams. I know. <laughs> but it's just, it, it gets me every time. I can't not stop humming it for movie. like the next hour and a half after, or whistling it for like an hour <laughs> after I watch it every time. You know what's funny is I always forget that the, the, th- the song I always think of as the theme song isn't the theme. Mm-hmm. The theme... Uh, because I always think of like that one. Mm-hmm. That's like the secondary theme. The yeah. ma- the main theme is the other one, like and I the, never yeah yeah I always I mean I obviously know that song, but I always think of the <laughs> other one for some reason because it's more like I don't know I find it more interesting and catchy. But 
They're both great, and all the music yeah, is but fantastic. The theme encapsulates the wonder I of Jurassic. It does. Park. It really does. It does capture that. But the other one captures and uh, encapsulates the the adventure. It's more adventurous yeah, yeah, and yeah. reminds me more of Indiana Jones. <laughs> okay, on our prequel episode, we talked about cautionary tales. Yeah. And we talked about how the cautionary tale has um, a specific structure, mm-hmm. right? Um, we have our introduction of the taboo thing. We have our person who ignores the warnings. And then we have the grisly end to that person who ignored the warnings. Yeah. So you alluded to earlier that you feel like you see that within the lawyer character. Yes, I think that's most represented in the lawyer because I think he most represents the the flaw, the mm-hmm. second part. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's most of the characters we see kind of. He's like the most guilty of it. So for you then the taboo, the thing that we shouldn't do is allow greed to yes to me i much i much more enjoy it as a as a cautionary tale about capitalism than uh-huh. i do about science right so i don't i so i like that the the person who is pushing the capitalist the 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 gung ho capitalist narrative and like we got to make as much money as much as you know this is a cash cow we got to make mm-hmm. we're going to make money and we got to do it now yeah that representation i like i like that being the the caution mm mm-hmm. mhm I, me, the commie that I am, I prefer. <laughs> just joking, but I prefer that cautionary tale to the cautionary tale about science. Okay, and so I think the movie does that to some extent. I th- I think that kind of both cautions are present in this story. I think there is the cautionary tale about capitalism, but I also think there's this kind of caution about like maybe we shouldn't bring dinosaurs back no, from the dead. No, that's 100% there. I just disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> On a fundamental level in my soul, I disagree with that caution. You think we should bring back dinosaurs from the dead? I think if we can do it safely, 100%. Why wouldn't we? Because they'd be miserable here. Why? The atmosphere is way less oxygenated. Okay, again, they would have when I say if breathing. we can do it safely, I mean for us and the dinosaurs. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I'm just... I'm just thinking of the dinosaurs here. I, and I am too. I agree. I, I'm not saying if we can do it and they're going to be miserable. No, I, I, yeah. that's that's part of the equation. I just have no problem with doing it if we can do it in a way that is safe for everybody. Yeah. And that's an element of the story that's in the book that doesn't really come through to the movie either, is that the dinosaurs are not okay. Right. No, that like comes through in the yeah. movie. I, I, maybe a little more in the book. I'm, yeah, there's probably more. Because obviously there's all this, you know, like the sick... Ter, uh, yeah. Ter, uh, but the, it does kind of get abandoned in the movie, is yeah. the thing. It's there, it's presented initially in the movie of, oh, the sick triceratops, and oh, they're eating plants that are poisonous, and mm-hmm. you, you didn't really think of it, you just got all these plants, and some of them, half of them are poisonous to them, mm-hmm. and, and so you're not really thinking about the well-being as much as you should, probably, of these dinosaurs. Yeah. So that's presented, kind of, for a second, and then it's just abandoned for spectacle right. in the movie. So It's a movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, going back to the cautionary tale thing... I want to talk about that in relation to the book. And I got to talk about John Hammond. Yeah. Because he's a completely different character. I was aware of this. I didn't know exactly how he changed, but I was aware that Hammond is not Hammond from the book. So in the movie, he's kind of a naive 
jovial, eccentric visionary. Yes. He's like a dinosaur Santa Claus. That's 100% what he is in the movie, and I love him for it. He's delightful. Love him for it. In the book, (laughs) he much more represents that element of capitalist greed. I think that that we were talking about. Yeah. Um, That scene where he's like, oh, I want everybody to come. He has a monologue, like an internal monologue in the book that is literally the exact opposite opposite. of that. Of like, oh, all the children will come. Well, all the rich ones anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So in the book, he much more represents that element, even more so than the lawyer does. Which I think honestly works more overall. Yeah. I think no, that I do too. because that then applies it. He he represents kind of both sides, uh, not even both sides, but I, he, since he was the one who orchestrated this whole thing, it yeah. makes sense for as a cautionary tale for him to. Sorry, I don't want to step on your. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he and he does represent. He represents that kind of capitalist element, but he also represents kind of the science without ethics right. element. That's what I mean, like both sides of it. Right, because he goes and he finds people that he can manipulate into creating his vision exactly the way he the way that he sees it yeah. and damn the consequences and damn how everybody else feels about it. He wants it done this way. Yeah. And I think where maybe you can feel a little bit better about that is that he's not a scientist. Yeah. Right, yeah. he's he's an entrepreneur. Right, he's, he's a, a rich guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that and that was I think I had heard that that was roughly that they completely changed him mm-hmm. for the movie to, to like you said, kind of the Santa Claus like, yeah, just visionary like yeah. I just want to I want to see I want to share dinosaurs with the world. Yeah, no, and he he very specifically seeks people out who won't challenge him. Yeah, like they talk about um, Doctor Wu. He like grabs him like right out of grad school. Yeah, he's like this young impressionable guy. Right. Um. So as far as how this fits into our cautionary tale format, Hammond gets warning after warning from multiple characters, not just Ian Malcolm. Mm-hmm. He gets warnings from Doctor Wu, from Doctor Grant, yeah. from Doctor Sadler, yeah. from pretty much everybody. Yeah. Um, about why this is not maybe such a great idea. He ignores all of that, of course, and plows on forward. And he dies. Yeah. He dies an incredibly horrific and grisly death. Um, and But there's like kind of a great poetic justice yeah, to it. Yeah, 100%. As there should be yeah. in a cautionary tale. Um, we'll get into spoiler territory here for a second. He dies because he's out for a walk and he thinks he hears the T-Rex roar. So he like dashes off and he falls down a hill. Of course, he's like in his 70s. Yeah. So he like breaks his ankle and can't get back up the hill. Well, it turns out that he wasn't actually hearing the T-Rex. He was hearing like a simulation through these speakers that they have out on the grounds. <laughs> yeah. And it's his grandkids who he invited to try and manipulate everyone else he, that was there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a grand irony there. Yeah, there's yeah. a grand irony there. It is but very fitting. he ends up getting eaten by the little 
like scavenger yeah. dinosaurs. They come up out of the woods and they see that he's injured and can't go anywhere. Yeah, he uh, he does not make it off the island. Yeah, <laughs> there's no pensive the, staring the at the proletariat amber. masses devour him. <laughs> <laughs> that they do. <laughs> that they do. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's I. That is a very interesting um, change, uh, and I really I, I like what I have heard of the book and and how, as you describe it there. I, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of really interesting symbolism and and just a lot more depth and nuance mm-hmm. to that portrayal or to that characterization of Hammond. Um, I do like Jolly's jolly old uh, dinosaur Santa Claus. Yeah, he's, he's delightful. He is. He's delightful. Uh, and I, I sort of enjoy also that naivete of him. Um, and then I, I and, and like you said, I see the the sort of cautionary tale play out more with the with the lawyer it's not as impactful as it would be yeah. if it was like yeah. a bigger character like hammond but it's still there to some extent after we finished recording katie and i continued discussing the end of the movie and how we think they could have made a few slight changes to help drive the message home a little better and we think what they could have done is with some slight tweaks to the lawyer character and then they let him survive until the end of the film and at the end of the film he still is insisting on trying to push forward even he's after he's seen everything go wrong and people have died because of what has happened he's still trying to push forward because he sees the potential to make money and move that towards the end of the film and then maybe he dies there somehow uh even though he's still insisting after seeing all these other people die no we can still do this we can still make money and then he gets eaten that would sort of help deliver on the cautionary tale in the film and drive home the theme at the end of the film and sort of wrap it all up with a pretty bow. So that's our change to Jurassic Park to make it a more satisfying thematic narrative. Get at us, Steven Spielberg. Well, let's do it then. Let's final verdict this mother. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. You know, this is a really tough one for me. Because I love the movie. And I think that the movie tells a really good, really fun story. I think the movie makes a lot of great changes. And does a good job of paring down some stuff from the book. Yeah, it's even, a pretty long yeah. book. It's, yeah, it it's is. Pretty it's pretty long. Um, and like, but even though, like I said, a lot of dope ass shit happens yeah. in the book that just doesn't like. We've got that runtime yeah. limit, you know. Yeah, and it's still a fairly long movie. It's two two hours and like ten minutes. So yeah, it's, it's kind of long. I gotta give it to the book, though. Wow. I, and don't get me wrong, I love the movie, and if anything, I would say that maybe they're on par with each other for different, different reasons. Yeah, that makes sense. But I. I think the movie stumbles a little bit in its conveyance of a message. I agree. Um, I think it's a little surface level. It's not as nuanced as the book is. And it does kind of drop a lot of things. I think that's the biggest thing is it, yeah. it abandons it, it message does, for It spectacle. abandons message for spectacle, which is fine for yeah. a blockbuster. Right. But... 
this is kind of an important message. Yeah, and I think more importantly, I think they just needed to have a little bit more... They just needed to finish off the message. They just needed yeah. to fi- wrap it up some way. Yeah. Do something towards the end. Because it, it, it's, yeah, it, it, in my opinion, it's with the lawyer sort of representing that he dies an hour into the movie. Yeah. And then the rest of it's just them surviving. Yeah. And we don't ever get anything else added on. Other than, you know, he's he's like, I've decided not to endorse your park. And, and Hammond's like, yeah, me either. Let's get the fuck out of here. But that doesn't, this is sort of like, well, that was, we fucked that up. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> like, moving on. <laughs> like, Yeah. I, I I could see definitely see having them equal footing but different. But <laughs> equal. There, <laughs> I yeah I would I would put them on par like I said for different reasons they're they're doing different things. The book is attempting to convey a message maybe a little bit more so than entertain although it was a very entertaining yeah, book. Yeah, you seem to enjoy it quite a bit. And the movie is entertaining. Yeah, and that's what it's doing. Yeah. With a sprinkling of with a, a yeah, with a sprinkling of here's some message, yeah. boys and girls. But more importantly, watch this T Rex eat a Velociraptor. Da, da, da. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, chalk that one up for the book. And I honestly, I really didn't even know until we sat down and started talking about this, sure which, which one was I was going to pick. Sometimes I know as soon as yeah. we finish the movie. Not every time. Yeah. Well, there you go. Over the course of this hour and a half, you have it has been decided. Katie, what are we doing next time? While you remember what we're doing next time, I'm going to plug all of our stuff. If you enjoy our show, please rate, review us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else you download our lovely podcast. Also, you can find us on all of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, Instagram, Reddit. Just look up This Film Is Lit. You will find us. So now, Katie, what's next? Up next, we are going to be doing a classic film from our childhood that I didn't even know was based on a book until I read it somewhere in a a listicle of books, movies you didn't know were based on books, of which I read every one I find now. We're doing Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. I... Didn't know we were doing that. <laughs> we are doing reason. that. I have a I have a schedule on my desk, and I somehow didn't remember. Yeah, I didn't know that was based on a book either. Yeah, is it like a kids book? Yeah, it's a it's um, a kids book from like the sixties. Interesting. So, well, we'll see I, how they're it gonna goes. have to add a lot to that, or like they're <laughs> gonna have to expand a lot to fill and uh, that hour and a half long runtime from the. I guess it depends. I was thinking picture book. It might not be. No, that it's short. not a picture. Okay, book. never mind. So then maybe they won't have to add that much. It'll probably be just about the right amount of runtime. Yeah. so cool homeward bound i'm sure a lot of our listeners remember fondly uh and maybe not so fondly as they cried wondering if shadow was gonna make it over that hill <laughs> spoilers <laughs> uh by the by i don't think you've ever actually seen me cry at a movie before <laughs> yeah I have. i'm going to openly weep when I we have. watch this i have i'm pretty sure i've seen you cry at a movie but yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a tearjerker. It's definitely a tearjerker. So, Homeward Bound next episode. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary, everybody else, keep reading books, keep watching movies, keep being awesome. Awesome.